This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Let me start by wishing all of you a happy new year. My gut tells me that 2015 is going to be a good year, perhaps even a transformative year. We can hope so. And speaking of transformations, I'm very happy to note that in our second segment today, we'll be joined by the host of Morning Edition at Capital Public Radio, Donna Abadoni. Donna's written a new book titled Trans for Mission. And in it, she talks about how it is you can, well, not so much turn your life around, but take it in a better direction, shall we say. It was my good fortune to have worked alongside Donna Abadoni over at Capital Public Radio some years back. And I'm certain you're going to enjoy what she's got to say in our second segment today. And in our third segment, I'm going to again be able to uh, refer to someone I've had the pleasure to work alongside of. In this case, the former general manager here at KDVS, Neil Rood. Neil did an outstanding job as our GM, and he's still doing an outstanding job working for the interest of students. In this case, the great controversy over tuition raises that um, have been in the headlines. The entire UC system has been raising the rate of tuition which students are charged. It's very controversial. And as so often is the case, what you see in the headlines doesn't really tell you the whole story. And while I can't promise you that in one segment with Neil we're going to be able to figure out the whole story for you, we're certainly going to break some new ground and talk about some things you probably haven't heard before. So, in our third segment, Neil Rood. You're going to want to stick around for that, too. But at this point, let us commence this program as we like to commence every program with On This Date in History. Today, of course, is January 1st, the first day of the year, but it wasn't always so. Because I would like to note that it was on January 1st in 45 BC that New Year's Day got celebrated in Italy at the beginning of January for the first time in its history. That came along with the adoption of the Julian calendar which was actually a pretty nifty calendar that the Egyptians were using. And when Julius Caesar went over to Egypt and said, hey, we're using this one. Prior to the adoption of this new calendar, the first of the year was traditionally thought of as March, spring, the time of renewal of the seasons, which frankly to us makes a lot of sense. But uh, for 2000 and what is it, 58 years now, we've been walking like Egyptians. And it was on January 1st in the year 1501 that the Portuguese explorer Pedro Alvarez Cabral stopped in Cochin, India. He was hoping to bring back to the king of Portugal some spices from India and increase trade and all that. But his biggest contribution to the Portuguese empire was his accidental discovery of Brazil. Turns out on his way toward the southern tip of Africa, he swung way west, like way west. After spotting today's Brazil, he put ashore stayed for 10 days, and claimed the land for Portugal, which is why the Portuguese language is the world's sixth most common tongue. It's all those Brazilians speaking it. Well, and a few Africans as well. All right, and exactly 300 years later, on January 1st in 1801, Ceres became the first asteroid discovered. It was observed by Giuseppe Piazza of Palermo, Italy. Now, Ceres was initially hailed as a new planet, even though they realized it was very small. 
but with the subsequent discovery of thousands of other similar bodies orbiting in a belt of similar orbits, Ceres got downgraded from planet to asteroid. But luckily for it, it recently got an upgrade back to dwarf planet. And the Dawn mission, which uh, was the first to visit an asteroid coming in at Vesta a couple years ago, took its little ion engine, left the orbit of Vesta, and is now closing in on Ceres. We're going to get our first close-up look at a dwarf planet in February. Maybe March, I'm not sure which. This gives a chance to forward promote our interview next week with Matt Kaplan, the host of Planetary Radio. The Planetary Society of Pasadena produces an excellent show on a weekly basis, which airs not just here at KDVS, but also at KUCI, our sister station in Irvine, and I think also up at KZFR in Chico, if I'm not mistaken. At any rate, you can bet that Planetary Radio is going to be all over the Dawn Mission's exploration of Ceres. We're very excited about it, and we're looking forward to speaking with Matt about it on next week's show, and then going back to talking with uh, maybe Emily Lakdawalla or... Bruce Betts of the Planetary Society when the spacecraft gets close to Ceres. And on January 1st in 1863, U.S. President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, calling for the liberation of black slaves in rebellious southern states. Some critics have pointed out that the Emancipation Proclamation did not apply to southern states because they were seceding from the Union. And conversely, it did not free slaves in the northern states. Lincoln did have jurisdiction. It was nevertheless an important step forward, symbolic or otherwise, in the liberation of America's slave population. And on January 1st in 1902, the first Tournament of the Roses, better known to you as the Rose Bowl, got played in Pasadena. It's between Michigan and Stanford. And uh, oh yeah, Michigan won 49 to nothing. Now there was talk about this Tournament of Roses parade and Rose Bowl football game as being the coldest one in the history or something close to it. I don't know if that happened, but I do know that all those parades that people back in Iowa freezing under three feet of ice would look at and think, man, it's time to move to California. But And not to be a spoil sport, but I, I hope they do have a real cold Rose Bowl today because, you know, we just, we just, we just can't have everybody move to California. All right, our quote of the day comes from the British author Elizabeth Charles, who said, To know how to say what others only know how to think is what makes men poets or sages. And to dare to say what others only dare to think makes men martyrs or reformers, or both. And our quip of the day, we've used it before, but I like it so much I'm going to use it again. Since the theme of today's program is learning in order to affect change for the future, Well, said Mark Twain, a man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn in no other way. Our joke of the day is as follows. A man died and went up to heaven where he was greeted by St. Peter. And who are you? Asked St. Peter. Stephen Richards. And what did you do for a living? Asked St. Peter. Ah, I was always unemployed. Unemployed, eh? Mused St. Peter. Well... Did you ever do anything good in your life? As a matter of fact, I have, said Stephen Richards. I was walking along the street once, and I saw a group of bikers who were threatened to beat up a crippled man. So I rushed over to his rescue, pulled the ringleader off him by his hair, kicked him hard where it hurts, and told him and his gang to clear out, said St. Peter. Well, that is highly commendable. But flicking through the man's file, he said, but I don't see any report of this incident. 
When did it happen? Well, said Stephen Richards, about six minutes ago. All right, and our anecdote, sort of, of the day is as follows. Apparently, male CEOs with deeper voices manage larger companies, keep their jobs longer, and earn more, up to $187,000 more per year than their higher-pitched peers, according to a speech pattern analysis of nearly 800 chief executives, as reported in the Wall Street Journal. Well, Mr. McMillan, I think it's time to see if you can't Make me a little more baritone I think with this new voice, I might be able to, well, manage a larger company, keep my job longer, and maybe earn a little extra money. Our stat of the day is that last year, Americans spent $2.6 trillion on health care, slightly more than the French spent on everything, education, defense, health care, food, housing, and more which makes U.S. healthcare spending alone equivalent to the fifth largest economy of the world. And I would like to inject the fact that while it's clear that America does spend too much on healthcare, if we compare that to what we spend on defense, things really get a little bit... And for our good news story of the week, we have this item. It turns out that ants do a wonderful job of both house cleaning and recycling. Turns out that researchers from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign took a look at what ants were doing for the city of New York in the way of removing food and things that had been disposed of. And it turns out if it's edible, the ants are carting away quite a bit of it. How much, you ask? Well... According to this study, ants and other arthropods on Manhattan's Broadway and West Street can remove food litter equivalent to the weight of about 60,000 hot dogs or 600,000 potato chips in a year. In fact, believe it or not, these arthropods apparently removed as much as 59% of the food that was left within a day. Curiously, more food was eaten at traffic islands than in parks, even though parks were more biodiverse. According to Elsa Youngstead, who did this study, this may be due to the fact that these pavement ants live in big colonies and like living out in cement islands. And, notes Mr. McMillan, evidently like hot dogs. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for Christian evangelizing, sort of, with the news that a Christian church design company has proposed building McDonald's inside churches to attract more worshipers. Lux Day Design, that's the name of the company, says its McMass project will, quote, draw a wider audience to the church, unquote, and spread, quote, the message of Christ's love, unquote. And we presume also a lot of fries with that. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for your tax dollars at work, 
with the news that the United States Navy has developed a five-foot, hundred-pound robotic spy fish that looks and swims like a bluefin tuna. According to the Navy, the fish can swim into enemy territory undetected and patrol and protect U.S. ports from harm. Yes, we can think of nothing that would be more effective at deterring an attack on the United States than for a prospective terrorist to look down and observe a robot tuna in the water. And speaking of swimming, it was an ugly week last week for swimming to freedom with the news that an American man, a Texan in particular, who suffers from bipolar disorder, appeared on North Korean television this week denouncing America and saying he would seek asylum in Venezuela. Yes, apparently this man was taught his geography in American schools. But according to the story, Arturo Pierre Martinez, age 29, said he entered North Korea to give, quote, valuable and disturbing information, unquote, about the U.S., such as reports of police brutality in Ferguson, Missouri, and government use of technology from UFOs. Now, Radio Parallax does want to give this man some credit for his determination. He first tried to enter North Korea last September by swimming across a river, but got stopped by South Korean troops. He was subsequently placed in a psychiatric hospital in the U.S., which seems pretty appropriate for anyone trying to swim into North Korea, but apparently got released, left for China, and completed his mission of seeking asylum in Venezuela via North Korea. All right, we've only got about three minutes left in the segment, so let's do some uh, quick items. And we have three things that I think approximate good, bad, and ugly, so let's return to that. Under the heading of good would be this. Coffee can improve memory, but you can't drink too much. In research done last year, 160 people were asked to look at pictures of objects. Then they were given either placebo or a tablet of 200 milligrams of caffeine. When these volunteers were shown a larger set of images the next day and asked to identify which ones were old, new, or similar, the caffeinated group was more likely to recognize very slight changes in the pictures. Turns out the dosage was critical, however. Researchers found that 100 milligram tablets didn't improve memory, while 300 milligram doses caused headaches and jitteriness. And from the bad heading, we have this item, which should also be filed under the incredibly unsurprising news. This comes from an Australian study which showed that pop stardom leads to an early grave. Yes, apparently down under... Sydney University professor Diana Kenny took a look at more than 1,200 popular musicians who died from 1950 to 2014 and found that their lifespans were roughly 25 years shorter than the average Americans. It was noted that although substance abuse contributed much to their early deaths, musicians were also much more likely to die in accidents, commit suicide, or be murdered. The culprit, according to Professor Kenny, is a culture that glorifies outrageous behavior by emotionally immature artists. Adding, the pop scene is toxic and needs rehabilitation. Well, it, maybe it does. But I can tell you this, next time I go to Sydney, I don't plan to hoist a few Guinnesses with Professor Kenny. And for our final item out of the ugly category, we have this piece from the current issue of The Week magazine. This apparently is an excerpt from a larger piece that appeared in Politico magazine. It was written by Jason Edward Harrington, and I recommend, dear listener, that you check this one out. Turns out back in 2007, Mr. Harrington was looking for a part-time job as he worked toward a degree in creative writing. He decided to apply with the Transportation Security Administration. 
And in fact, he got a call back and a job as a security officer at O'Hare International Airport. And a few quotes from the piece are in order. Said Harrington, I hated it from the beginning. It was a job that had me patting down the crotches of children, the elderly, and even infants as part of the post-9-11 airport security show. I confiscated jars of homemade apple butter on the pretense that they could pose threats to national security. I was even required to confiscate nail clippers from airline pilots, the implied logic being that pilots could use the nail clippers to hijack the very planes they were flying. Far and away, my favorite piece of this article is what he had to say about those damned full body scanners were asked to go through these days. Said Harrington, we knew the full body scanners didn't work before they were even installed. He noted that the machines cost about $150,000 a pop. And after giving a crash course in their operation, one of the officers in his class asked the instructor to tell him off the record what he really thought about the machines. Shrugging, he said, they're crap, using a slightly different word. He said, we wouldn't be able to distinguish plastic explosives from body fat and that, get this, guns were practically invisible if they were turned sideways in a pocket. Said Harrington, we quickly found out the trainer wasn't kidding. Officers discovered that the machines were good at detecting just about everything besides cleverly hidden explosives and guns. The only thing more absurd than how poorly the full-body scanners performed was the incredible amount of time the machines wasted for everyone. He does add later in the piece, the only people who hated the body scanners more than the public were TSA employees themselves. He said many of his co-workers felt uncomfortable standing next to radiation-emitting machines. We were forcing members of the public to stand inside. Several told me they submitted formal requests for dosimeters to measure their exposure to radiation. The TSA stance was that dosimeters were not necessary. The radiation doses from the machines were perfectly acceptable, they told us, and we just have to take their word for it. And yes, he confirmed in spades that a gun is almost invisible if it's held sideways in a pocket in a body scanner. Holy mackerel. And I tell you, my conclusion out of all this is I'm going to get a pat down in the future and not step inside that uh, damned radiation-generating machine. And dear listener, of course, uh, you might want to give this a thought yourself. I do want to add in closing this segment that that opinion, like all the opinions heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. All right, I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We're going to take a short break. Stick around. 